Hello. Hi. I'm Shannon. I'm Emma. I'm Holland. There it is. There it is. We have I forgot my line. <laughs> they were so just they were so distracted by us sharing our microphone Bob over here. Weave. Bob and Weave. Oh. Yeah. It's I a did full not choreograph dance. It's yeah. We're like two parakeets on a branch. <laughs> Literally just thinking two mating birds. <laughs> anyway, welcome to this podcast doesn't exist. Hello. We have another friend on the pod today. Hi. You should be familiar with Holland. If you are not, please go back to um, the Body Farms episode if you're not squeamish. And if you are squeamish, maybe you go to the episode right after that about our ophthalmologist friend who disappeared and came back, maybe? Or the one about the blobs falling from the sky. Or the blobs falling from the sky. Those are less squeamishy, but Holland did present fully on their experience with Body Farms. And that was honestly an incredible... I still have your book. I'm so sorry. I have not touched it. I totally it. forgot that I gave that to you. Great. <laughs> this is why wow. I have a list. Yeah. Shannon has like an actual like library card. Like this is what you've taken out from my library list. Yeah. I Emma borrowed a book like three years ago. I did. I still haven't read it. I'm so sorry. Wow. It's okay. You have so many books to read. I, I do. And you've already read this one. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, today we have Holland on to uh, Holland on to <laughs> talk about what are you talking about today? I am going to give a folklore 101 crash course. Amazing. Lecture style. Well, not hopefully not lecture style. That'd be so boring for everyone involved. We'll just sit here um, silently. Yeah, there will be no um, I'll fall asleep. There will be a pop quiz. <laughs> No screens allowed. Get off your phones. Um, <laughs> Turn off the computer. <laughs> participation is worth 10% of your grade. Oof. Goodness. Well, before we jump into all of our folklore, if you have any desire to play a bingo card or send us a message, maybe you want to ask Holland a question about what they're presenting today. The or lines about lines are open. Yes, they are open. <laughs> they are currently open. We are not live, but they are currently open. <laughs> But if you would like to do any of that, you can go to our website at thispodcastdoesnexist.com. Dot com. You can also find all of our episodes there, transcripts, all that fun stuff. Apple Podcast is now making transcripts available, hosted on Apple Podcasts. So mm. if that's something that you are interested in using, feel free. But they're also available on our website. So have fun with that, my friends. Now I'm just thinking about how fun it would be if people sent us like voice memo questions. You're allowed to do that as well. You can do that on our anchor link within our website as well. So oh. feel free to do that. I can add them to the episode fully and you don't have to worry about it at all. So yeah, if you want to, if you, if you would like your voice on the podcast, please feel free to send us a voice memo. Call in now. Call in now. Phones are ringing off the hook. <laughs> just... <laughs> It is so loud in here with all the calls we're so, receiving. It's, it's so loud in, in this here. live on air studio. <laughs> Wild. Phones are online. Nope. <laughs> we don't remember we don't how rem phones work. We don't remember how those phone fundraisers worked on PBS. Like that's what I'm referencing. Yeah. Yeah, the phonathons. I just, I don't remember. I remember spoofs of them on, like, sitcoms and stuff, but I, mm -hmm. like, I'm pretty sure Friends, Joey, was one of the, like, phonathon people, like, answering phones. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, beside the point, our phonathon lines are open. If you would like to uh, send anything in, feel free. But for now, 
Holland, take it away. It's just me here. Okay, hi. Well, I did have one um, fun body farm related update, which was that I think last episode I mentioned that one of like the fun things is that, right, you can learn a lot about when you're one of the things that they're using body farms for is they're discovering stuff about like what happens post-mortem that they wouldn't have known otherwise. So Mm. the body farm in Texas determined that some of the like injuries that they were seeing on bodies were actually sustained because birds were landing on the bodies (gasps) and bruising them. Yeah. And that they, you know, so they had like these like, you know, injuries that were apparent, but they were like, oh my God, they might be from birds. So the body farm that I am familiar with, the one associated with my workplace, does not have any body shed. They're very close to getting some, but right now they're using pigs because fun mm. facts, pigs are in terms of tissue and organ makeup, very similar to human beings. I think we talked about that a little bit. So they have been discovering that like with the birds in Texas, possums and bugs are doing similar things to their bodies here at the at the body farm. Gross. Which is gross, but very cool and exciting for them. They're discovering that like, oh, these bodies are being bruised by animals. Not birds, but possums digging around in corpses. Fun. How great. How exciting. Oh, and possums have like actual hands and that really kind of freaks me out. Little hands yeah. grabbing little little pig <clears throat> bodies. <clears throat> so fun. So gross. Anyway, so that is your uh do 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 body farm update. <laughs> <laughs> We need a sound effect. Body farm update. <laughs> Get a little soundboard. This like, like when the little chimes of yeah. like the school. A xylophone. Is a xylophone. You need a xylophone. Yeah. Ding, My God, we should ding, get a xylophone. Ding, 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 a little Fisher Price xylophone. Like the secretary lady on Greece. Yes. That is who In we are. Greece. Yeah. Okay. So I, Shannon, the other day was like, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And I was like, sure. Do you want me to do anything? Or you just want me to hang out and be a Greek chorus? And because I was like, because I can come and do like the Folklore 101 crash course. And she was like, do that. So here we are. So the other day when I was absolutely doing my approved government related job and definitely not having eight hours where I had nothing to do, I was definitely not writing three pages of notes about what folklore is. That's fine. Uh, CYA for myself. Okay. So I... For those of you who don't remember, I have a graduate certificate in folklore studies. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm taking another folklore class this semester just for funsies because I they cannot keep me away. So so I figured I'd come on and do a little, since you all talk about folklore so much, because you talk a lot about cryptids and supernatural and whodunits and all of that fun stuff, I thought I'd come on and give some little info dump knowledge about Yay. what folklore is. Some good context for our general topics. Which, you know, we don't we don't have that knowledge, so now we will. Now you will. Okay, so first I wanna hear from the two of you. When you hear folklore, what do you think? Taylor Swift. I knew okay. it. I knew it. Okay. I we're, knew gonna, it. we're gonna come back to that. I knew it. <laughs> say that. It needed to be said. That's fair. It did. It's a great like soft pitch for me to then get into yeah, my Taylor good... Swift folklore like five minute tirade. Good. So I don't think I have anything in particular. I think I kind of think of the Appalachian, like, fearsome critters. Don't look, don't turn when you hear someone calling for you in the middle of the night in the woods kind of thing. That feels like folklore to me. Cool. Or, like, Russia. Full stop. Yeah, Yeah. like, like mythology is old, old, and folklore is, like, now. Yeah. But they're shelved in the same section of the bookstore. Yeah. So... 
well taylor swift aside we're gonna get we're, we're coming back to that yeah I, correct like all of those things are folklore so good job we yay got uh, yay <laughs> a plus so folklore first thing is that folklore is like both a it's both the study and the object like capital f folklore versus lowercase folklore which Ooh, like object theory this yeah is fun. which gets hilarious because then you're like is it folklore and you're like what are you t- which the, one? Yeah, we had a we had a whole discussion in class the other day about is folklore political, and I'm like, what? Which? What are you talking? Can which, we, we define the terms? Which please? one? <laughs> the thing yeah. or the study of? Yeah, because two different answers, and well, really, also the funny thing about folklore, like with many academic disciplines, is half the time the answer is like maybe sometimes, often not. Who knows? Everything is the happening. humanities. Hey, yes. <laughs> People have a bunch of different definitions of folklore, like what the study is, what it means. So like Del Himes, who's one of the big folklorists, says that like folklore is the study of communicative, communicative, communicative? Wow. Nope, okay. I like communicative. Communicative behavior with an aesthetic, expressive or stylistic dimension. So basically like it's a it's a piece of human behavior that is mostly dealing with like expression or beauty or etc. And then Dan Ben Amos, another huge folklorist, uh, says folklore is artistic communication in small groups. And these are like big fancy language words, basically meaning that folklore, the object, is a cultural unit that must be shared between at least two people and has to like transform upon it being shared. So like transformation and transference are the two biggest things that make something folklore, which we're going to get into in a second. It's like the lore of your like friend group. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So like things that are folklore are traditional songs and handicrafts. So like good old Appalachian music and yeah, like a little little embroidery hoop ring like Shannon just pointed out. (laughs) But also like recipes passed down through your family, an inside joke with your best friends, the Doge meme is folklore, (laughs) Uh, Nazi propaganda was folklore, the WAP dance on TikTok is folklore, Chinese embroidery, ghost stories, myths, cosplay conventions, fan fiction, all the stuff and an infinite number more are all folklore objects folklore is not quite everything but it is a lot of things and those things that are not folklore tend to produce folklore so it's just kind of this constant like effort like thing that's just kind of it's like air it's just around you all of the time it's effervescent half the time you're not even thinking about you're not thinking about it as folklore you're just thinking about it as like this is just a thing that my friends and i do or this is a thing that my family and i do like any kind of christmas traditions is like a kind of folklore within a family unit yes okay. yeah and it, it's it's ma- like micro to macro so again like right folklore has to be between at least two people because mm-hmm. it has to be shared yeah so like this can be as simple as like you and your friend have an inside joke together like that's folklore but then also on like we're talking the macro level american mythology of like the presidents and like the george washington chopped down cherry tree story mm-hmm. like all that stuff is that was washington right yes okay great <laughs> Like, that is also folklore, like national folklore. And there's folklore, the study started as a desire to create a national identity. So a lot of people attribute, so like the study of folklore is actually not that old. It kind of started in like the 17, 1800s. And there's, you know, like with many social sciences, there's different schools that sort Mm -hmm. of start and use folklore. Some of the early folklorists, even if folklore was not necessarily an established field of study, were the Grimm brothers and their creation of the Grimm fairy tale collection. And what that started as was a desire for a national German identity. And they were like, well, how are like, what's the thing that we can 
fine. Yeah, that we can agree on, that we all understand. And they, folklore also started as this idea that, like, the folk are kind of like the 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 originators like they are the ones that are most connected to the land or most connected to the past and therefore they would have the answers to this question of what is the one thing that brings us all together as a nation that we all relate to this same trend is very apparent in a lot of the social sciences like anthropology and sociology right where they thought that oh if we go and find these tribes in like you know the deep uh, savannas of Africa, uh, that's getting us closer to the origin of man. And we can determine what the origin of what the original man was like. And that's not real. That's stupid. But like, that's what the anthropologists did a lot of the time. So, you know, you have the Grimm brothers who there's this desire for a national German identity. And so they start going around to these folk, the poor people, for lack of a better word, um, the peasants, and start asking them about the stories they're telling and all this fun stuff. And then they start making this collection of stories to kind of solidify, you know, what the German identity is. And it's this collection of tales. Um, now, the Grimm brothers also had, like with everything, and like what is very a very common complexity when you talk about folklore studies is that you are yourself biased as a person. And so what you are choosing to show and what you are choosing to catalog is very dependent on like, you know, who you are and what your motives are. So the Grimm brothers had a very Christian bent to their collection of these stories. So the stories that the Grimm brothers collected all got this like, right, Christian morality tale. Yeah, they're all like, very moralized. Yes. So like, you know, even then they're not really the original tales of the folk because they've all been turned into this thing. But the Grimm's are sort of seen as, you know, when you think about folklore, a lot of people default to yeah. mythology and like handicrafts of like Appalachia, at least in the States, but they also default to like the Grimm brothers stories. So yeah, so folklore sort of develops as this discipline. It kind of starts as having... A pretty noble cause, especially in America, like they start to see that a lot of these groups, marginalized groups in particular, were losing a lot of their culture as they're being forced out of places and moved places forcibly by the government, lol. But they, the folklorists are like, this is bad, like we're losing these really important pieces of culture and history, and so we should start preserving them. So then folklorists start going into these communities and sort of trying to find and preserve and conserve pieces of folklore from like black communities in the South and Native American communities and other indigenous communities. And then that kind of develops into this discipline. And again, right, there's it, it it's a noble cause for the time of it being the 1800s. I think I'd have to go back and look. I think folklore in America really starts post-Civil War, where they really start to see a lot of this stuff being lost over time. So it starts with kind of a noble cause, but it's still, you know, it's, it's a bunch of white academics. Still, yeah, it's still of its time. Like, there's still these ideologies that are attached to it, as well as the motivations that are attached to it. That yeah. Even, also, even now, there might be people that are still doing it with those ideologies because it's not unlearned in some ways well, yeah also like big white savior vibes like very much let so. me study a, a native language that's dying out to save the language instead of i don't know providing reparations or resources for those communities to preserve that history themselves correct yeah so one thing that folklorists are currently current modern day folklorists is grappling with is this question of like how do we balance our position as being experts in the field of like what is folklore how do we preserve how do we interpret what's happening 
with the realities of you are a stranger entering into a group that you might not understand. Yeah, the the context for your for your own research in that way is so completely colored by you being an outsider. Yes. Well, and they found that, right, like, so folklore is a lot of, and I'll kind of come back to this in a minute, right? One one of the key features of folklore is that it's not a mass-produced piece of media, right? An oral story is being told through multiple different people in multiple different ways, changing every time it's told, right, through what looks more like a winding trail through a forest by five different people other than a single node with arrows shooting out of it, right? Like a broadcast. So when you are a folklorist, normally you're only seeing one version of the thing, but then also they found that how the groups themselves are presenting this to them changed when they were in the room, right? Because there's a stranger there. It's Mm. not their normal group it changes when you record it it changes when you do whatever right so they're not and that's kind of a tough thing to balance out in terms of conservation of like a like an item like how do you preserve something knowing that this is not the actual like correct thing but then also yeah i mean you're talking about a video and like you're editing things out you can't a lot of folklorists have written things on how you know how do you capture what it feels like to be in that room with these people doing these activities and performing this when your only medium is writing or right having a video like you're missing the sense you're missing the sounds you're missing like you're missing what the audience is doing because you only have one camera or two cameras that are recording the dance itself right you're not seeing it from every angle you're not from the pov of the people doing the dance or anything like that like it's it it is it is a current unsolved question i actually wrote a paper at one point there was this guy, because um, it's always a man, he wrote, he was a creative writer, and he came into folklore, and he was like, oh, all of you write too many ethnographies, and they're so boring, and no wonder your field is dying, because it's so boring, because of the ethnographies, blah, 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 and so I wrote a paper being like, actually, factually inaccurate, people have been doing creative ethnography, they're just all women and people of color, so of course you wouldn't know that, you dumb white man, I, it was, <laughs> I won an award for that paper, so clearly it was like much more academic than that, but I basically did a uh, comprehensive takedown of how like women and people of color, specifically women of color in folklore studies, have been like championing this more creative ethnographic form where it reads more like creative writing and less like a report of happenings to kind of encapsulate that feeling of like what it means to be in the room where these things are happening. Um, but then I feel like on the flip side, right, you're, you've been talking about like, oh, it's imperfect because it's recorded by an observer. I feel like on the flip side, it would also be imperfect if you're like part of the thing that you're doing right because yes. then it's like coded by your own personal experiences of yeah. you know what I mean like I am a person who participated and lived on tumblr so it would be like my ethnography or my like folkloric take on tumblr as a platform would be colored by my experiences which yes. makes it imperfect in a different way Yes, correct. It's we're we are all both experts and idiots at the same time. And I love that for me. <laughs> That's can I can I have that on a t-shirt? Sure. Expert but idiot. Expert and idiot. 
and, it's all this and idiot. And we're all yes the same. and yes and yeah yes and. Okay, so let me that that was kind of a, a very this quick is overview fascinating. By the way, it, it is just tweaking my graduate school brain. I'm like, I just want to sit. I don't want to do the paper, but I want to sure. sit in Me the either. lecture and like read all the things. Yeah, it's it is a really fascinating. Like as somebody who comes from an English background and an anthropology background, this is the other fun thing about folklore is it encompasses many different fields of study. Like obviously, sociology and anthropology are the most obvious, but also like English lit because so much of folklore is based in folk tales and mythology and writing, and then also you have like visual arts because there's you know handicrafts and video. you have chemistry and conservation because you're trying to preserve things that are physical and you're trying to keep those things around like yes. textiles and stuff like that yeah museum theory studies, studies yeah. because you know how are you presenting it what like what's the exhibit look like how are you presenting it how are you preserving it how are you honoring it and how are you giving it back yeah yeah, so it's it's a it's a very complicated field, but also fascinating. And again, because so much, so many things are folklore, it's kind of like anybody can find a thing that most interests them. So like, I got really into internet folklore because that's quite frankly not a field that not an area that many like every academic plus discipline, right? It's like ten years behind. So like, there are a couple really prevalent folklorists. Lynn McNeil is one of them. Shout out Lynn McNeil, love her. Um, she wrote th this book called Folklore Rules, which is sort of like where I got a lot of this information from that gives a really good baseline understanding of like what is folklore? What's the study? What does it mean? But she has specialized in internet studies. Um, there's another guy whose unfortunately name I'm not going to remember, but I also cite him a lot in my stuff. But yeah, but nobody really has studied internet folklore because it's so new and there's constantly new stuff popping up. And so like that became my niche. It's just weird shit on the internet. But I loved it. And so do my professors. Also, it's great because they don't know anything about it. So I can say wrong things and they're not going to call me on it. <laughs> okay. Which is untrue. Holland is perfect. I am perfect at, and always right. Yes, I am exactly. only expert, not idiot. So... <laughs> That's what the back of the shirts is yeah, say. Only expert. expert and idiot, but on the back it says only expert. Yeah, only expert. Okay, so let me give kind of go back to the building blocks now that we could talked a little bit in very broad strokes about like the field of studies and all that fun stuff. Um and talk about like what folklore is and how you can tell when something is folklore. So I said earlier that folklore is a cultural unit shared between two or more people that is transformed upon transference. And that transformation and transference are kind of the two biggest pieces of how you can tell when something is or is not folklore. So it has to be transferred, like it has to move from one person to another. And when it moves, it has to be transformed in some way. And this doesn't have to be a very obvious thing. But if you're thinking like, let's say your grandmother's green bean casserole recipe, which is an example I use a lot, you have a recipe, you're reading it off of a recipe card, but you might like not make that casserole for the same event that your grandmother was making it for. You might use a little bit different measurements, like you might put paprika in it when she did not. You might use like a little bit extra soup, right? Your green bean casserole is not going to be a perfect replica of her green bean casserole. And also like you might be using an edited recipe card that your mother edited to add in other things, right? So it's, it you know, it, it's changing as it goes. It's not one set thing. The way that Lynn McNeil describes this is broadcast versus the game of telephone. So 
when you're looking at an object and trying to decide, is this folklore? Broadcast is where there's one clear source, like a television, right? And that television is showing the exact same show with the exact same commercial, maybe not the exact same commercials, depending on where you are, but like, right, one million people are watching that exact same thing as you are through a television and, you know, and it is the same thing. You are all watching the same show, the same scenes, the same acting, everything is exactly the same and there's one clear source and that source is not going to change, right? Like you, you as an individual can't like get in go into the scene and then rearrange people and like move things and change things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that episode of The Simpsons is not folklore. Now, the culture around that thing is folklore, but we'll get to that in a second. Telephone, the game of telephone, right, is that you are hearing or experiencing something and then you're sharing that with somebody else and it's changing as it goes, right? The game of telephone, you sit in a circle, it's first person whispers something and it goes down the line and you see how much it's changed from when the first person whispered it to what it ends up being at the end. And it's funny because it's, you know, they say a funny phrase and it gets muddled and murmured and you can't ask the person to repeat it and whatever. And Often it's a non-linear, right? The game of telephone is you're sitting in a circle. But in reality, this kind of greater version, it's like a rumor you can imagine, right? It's a non-linear, like, yeah, it's going from one node to another. One person's talking to this person who's then talking to these other three people. Maybe you're texting someone. Maybe that person's going back to, excuse me, the originator of the rumor. And that, you know, it's kind of like a bunch of nodes with arrows, some swooping arrows, some squiggly arrows kind of all spread out on a map. That's a lot more convoluted and complex. So Taylor Swift's folklore CD is a actually really good example of these two different kinds of folklore. So Taylor Swift writes this album called Folklore, and it comes out right before my first ever folklore class. So of course, my professor immediately day one is like, we're talking about whether or not this is actually folklore. And also, there were so many people searching for folklore that the American Folklore Society, um, American Folklore American Society of Folklores, acronyms, whatever. They basically made a whole web page being like, what is folklore? Because so many people were Googling it and they were like, we have to have something that explains this to people. SEO. We got to get some SEO Listen, on this. They knew. They knew. It's a good website too. Whatisfolklore.org if you have, if you're curious about more folklore things. Okay. So Taylor Swift. So the CD, the folklore CD, the folklore album is not folklore. That is not, it's not, that's not like a thing. The, like the Simpsons episode you just explained, the source is the same experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter, like, the color of it or your vinyl CD, like, no, it is, it is mass produced. It is one thing. It is, everybody is hearing and seeing, the, even if somebody burns that CD for you, right, it's the exact same thing. Like, you are all, it all traces back to one source. It is Taylor Swift. You cannot edit that CD that you bought. I mean, maybe you could, but, like, that's a whole different story like see now my brain is saying that lime wire is folklore uh, yeah i mean i think i think there could be an argument made there because you are each time you pulled something off of lime wire it was not always the original source sometimes it was taken from a youtube video or it was or, recorded from the radio and like you could hear people in the yeah. background and yeah. yeah i think something like, i think that would be folklore but like the album itself taylor swift's folklore is not folklore Here's the other thing. Taylor Swift also claims that her songs are folklore. She's lying. They're not. <laughs> they are not folklore. But hey, it's a good gimmick. Listen, it is a good gimmick. So one of the things we did in this class, we looked at like the little note she wrote on like the disc jacket or whatever. And she claims that, right, the the premise of this whole album is she was like, I was writing stories about people and I was making folklore out of these lives. She was not. Because the reality is she wrote fiction, right? She made up a story about these people. and But that story is not being transferred to people and then being retold, 
right? Like she she wrote a story, she mass produced it, mass commercialized it, sent it out in these albums in the same way that a book is not folklore, right? A printed piece of fiction is not folklore. Her songs are also not folklore. So sorry, Taylor Swift, you're wrong. It's and it is right. Like it's evocative, Holland. It is. (laughs) Sure. Uh, (laughs) Shannon's giving me the look of you're talking shit about something that I like. And I'm I'm (laughs) I'm just sleepy. I'm just sleepy. sleepy. He's sleepy. But the, the diagram, the Venn diagram of the things that you both love. The overlap is very small. It's, it's basically just national, national treasure. treasure. <laughs> and love, actually. And love, actually, yeah. Um, and Night at the Museum, we discovered when I accidentally <gasps> confused I Night. I don't know why. I was not actually confusing Night of the Museum and uh, similar National vibes. Treasure, but they have very similar vibes. And I saw a Tumblr post and I was like, oh, my God. And then I texted it to the, the group chat. And then I was like, wait a minute. This is not National Treasure. <laughs> Oopsie daisy. <laughs> I love that movie. Night at the Museum. Great. Is so, Night at the Museum Speaking 2. Speaking of folklore. True. It's museum. so good. There we go. Okay. Also, like, so the folklore aspect can also be seen in the music of Taylor Swift, like in that album, because she specifically uses a very folk style. Mm. But honestly, that's more in the vein of what's called the folkloresque. Now, this is... This is a the academics are fighting again point of contention in the folklore community about this thing called the folkloresque, which was a term coined. That's, that's my drag name. It's the folkloresque, folkloresque, burlesque. Um, so I don't. Oh my god, I'm not gonna remember the name of the guy who coined it, but there was a folklorist who wrote this whole paper about what's called the folkloresque, which is basically his argument that there is this specific like sliver of stuff that is meant designed and meant to feel like it's folklore but it's not folklore he uses the uh, example of spirited away um which great film top tier i just watched it (gasps) for the first time for the first time a week ago (gasps) and when he did the like blowing things from his hand i was like that's holland's tattoo that's on my body yes oh my god great film if you haven't watched miyazaki um take a weekend and watch every say have you not seen it ma'am you would love it shannon's hiding because she hasn't engaged with it okay i will say it's spirited away i'm not an anime girly no we're gonna convert you but it's not really it doesn't have the same feeling as like not. no anime like no, it's one of those boom, things pow, you want to the i have absorbed it through the the culture the internet like i know my neighbor totoro he's a big guy with the, he's so fuzzy and he has an umbrella and they're beautiful i just haven't ever That's w- watched them the only ones i've watched so far are howl's moving castle ponyo and spirited away Oh, and you gotta watch Princess Mononoke. I know that like genre of I I could watch it for ages. Like I Howl's Moving Castle was so beautiful. But what I've identified about most of these films, at least the ones I've seen, they are nightmarish in a way that doesn't scare you. If that makes any sense, yes. Like they have that kind of magical realism bent that isn't fantasy. But is, but isn't. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yes. So I've I've tried to explain magical realism as a genre to so many people. It's one of my favorites. But like th- it has that kind of feel of like it's it's so real, but it's so far removed from what you think is real, but is so cl- like it, they, like there's there's a proximity issue with magical realism and with the Miyazaki movies and like there's it's so good. 
I'm not I'm happy about it like this is this is good yeah yeah so Miyazaki top tier we will Shannon have a Miyazaki marathon thank you so much um they're so long it's fine we'll do well also we don't have to do all of them we'll we'll hit the big ones we'll do that but it's okay anyways so the folklore-esque is and again this is kind of up for debate in the folklore community because I think that like like with so many things in folklore, it's complicated. Like, what do you mean when you say something just feels like folklore but isn't? Because I think the argument in the Miyazaki stuff is like, well, like he is drawing from like actual Japanese folklore, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the creatures that appear in Spirit Away, like that's Japanese folklore. But I think I think what it really means is that like it's the vibe of folklore, but it's being it's a mass production like piece of capitalism, which is what like Taylor Swift's style is. Like Taylor Swift herself is not performing. She's not performing folk songs. She's what she's doing is she's mimicking the style of folk artists who are themselves mimicking the style of folk artists who are mimicking the style of folk music, which would be like, you know, the the Appalachian ballad bands. Like, blue, and, like bluegrass, but softer. Yeah. And then she, you know, so we're talking like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon removed from like folk music as it occurs in Appalachia. But then also it's just it's meant to be the vibe of folklore, right? It's meant to give you the vibe of like also a very stereotypical folklore, Mm -hmm. right? This vibe of like we're in the woods and there's a guitar and a fiddle and you're in very like back to nature, back to back to the origin, which is also a big thing in Appalachian folklore. Now, the place where Taylor Swift is folklore is the fandom of Taylor Swift. Swifty culture is a huge quagmire of folklore instances. See three to four of our previous episodes. (laughs) Yeah, like that. Now that is folklore, right? Like, and we're talking like everything about this. Like the the bracelet culture at the Eras tour the f- i mean even just the Eras tour itself was just like a whole mess of folklore like the bracelets the the outfits you were picking and like the photos you would take like how you presented your Eras experience on the internet and what you posted about how you showed it the like experience around trying to determine what song she was going to like surprise what guest was going to be the surprise all of that stuff is all right. All the fan cams of her at the things where people were reading into like I saw somebody, somebody that I know is like really, really deep, deep, deep in the Taylor Swift zone. And she like one of her most viral tweets is of Taylor Lautner hugging Taylor Swift. And it was this whole deduction about how Taylor Lautner didn't stand up for her at the VMAs. And this was him like reclaiming the showing she cares or something like that. And I was like, this is this is a lot for 10 a.m but that's fine I, I love that for you so but like all of that is folklore so like her album folklore not folklore nothing about it is folklore taylor swift everything else surrounding taylor swift it's folklore then we can also compare that to two instances of actual like real folklore and slender man is one of them Oof. so we're talking about like right now we're getting to my my zone which is internet culture feel free to go whole hog into slender man discussion because it is one that i don't think i will ever touch great okay so 
And I don't think you will either. Yeah. So this is an interesting case. So one other thing about folklore, like with many fields, it's gone through many different eras of like what people thought was important. So we had this one era, especially in folktale studies, where tale typing became really important. And somebody created this huge catalog of tale types in which every type of folktale was categorized based on its themes, its plot, its characters, and was given a typing number. So there's this like huge Carmen Machado's book mm-hmm. in the dream house. She uses tail types at the start of some of her chapters as a way to categorize her chapters in terms of like in this like, you know, sort of nod to this thing she's creating in terms of trying to tell the story like it's a folk story. Um, that's that those that's tail typing. That is what that document looks like and it's things like like the cinderella tale has a tail typing number and it categorizes them based on uh like young girl stepmother mean etc and it kind of goes down and this was all in an attempt to sort of come to the central thing well one it people thought that the categorization meant something because they could look at tales from across the world and say like okay so like there are instances of what we call Cinderella, what other people call donkey skin, what other people call, there's like a different term for it in like Chinese folklore. But like we all have instances of the same tale type across, you know, things. What does that mean? And they kind of tried to use this very scientific method to create meaning. Also because folklore is one of those funky little social sciences that like sort of social science that like they were trying to validate through scientific method. One of the other things that was really important for people at one point in time was figuring out origins of things. So trying to figure out where where folklore originated from. So you have the Cinderella story, but like who wrote the first Cinderella story? Where was the first one made? And I think that a lot of people who first start doing folklore studies think that that's really important, this idea of origin and where it begins. But the reality is, is that they quickly learned in the past that that was a losing game. You're never going to find the origin of something, right? You could maybe estimate that, sure, there was a, the first version of Cinderella might have come from China because of documents that they found of somebody writing it down, you know, X number of years ago, even before the Ger- Germany became Germany but like but where you don't know there could have been something before that that we don't know about like what what place in China started what village what person right really really quickly some kind of like trade situation even certainly stories being passed along in that way of like you're just chatting you're just talking and like oh hey there was this thing and then it, it becomes it roller like snowballs into something larger and then gets retold like the whole rumor thing it just gets retold and retold and retold and becomes this thing until somebody writes it down and then it becomes kind of solid yes i can't wait for time travel to be real because this is gonna fuck up so many scientists (laughs) so hard social scientists are gonna lose they're all just gonna poof out of existence like lose their minds like So also what's interesting about the origin thing is that around the time people were like, this is a losing game. Like we can't, we can't possibly find these things. There also became a movement of being like, but like, why does it matter? Like, why does the origin of something matter? And the reality is the question of who started the thing is far less interesting than why is this thing still around? Because this is the other component of folklore that's important to know is that folklore is effervescent in that the second folklore stops being useful for the community that uses it, it disappears. 
right? The second you and your best friend who had this shared inside joke grow up and grow apart and then that that disappears. It's gone, right? Because it's no longer serving its purpose of bringing a community together. It's no longer interesting. A great example is how the jokes that people view funny changes. You, we keep having this discussion about how comedians keep being like, we don't tell jokes anymore. Blah. And it's like, well, the culture has changed around what jokes are okay to be told. And there are some jokes we don't tell anymore because they are no longer socially and culturally acceptable. We're no longer in that place. And that's a piece of folklore that has since like flitted away. Again, really interesting questions for what it means to preserve and conserve culture and these pieces of folklore. If the nature of folklore is to naturally die off, like what is what does that mean for us and what we're doing? Like, are we prolonging the life of a piece of folklore that sh- should just die? And that's both in terms of like things that are chill versus also things that are bad. There's a whole discussion around what do we do with Nazi propaganda? Because sorry, go. I, I have an interesting tidbit because I recently was in the Library of Congress, and during our tour, it was explained to us that when Hitler's bunker was raided. All of that paraphernalia and books, specifically books, came back to the United States. The U.S. government had no idea what to do with these books, so they just put them in the Library of Congress. So the Library of Congress has Hitler's library, but only specifically the books that they deemed culturally important to hold on to, and then disseminated the rest of his library among other state libraries in the country. So Hitler's library is just floating around the United States. And some people might not know that because not every book had like, this is Hitler's book or this is like, there was no writing in it, anything like it was just a physical object that he had. So there are actual books out in the world that no one knows are Hitler's. Yeah. In circulation. Yeah. And so like that question of does Prob- it need to be preserved? Yeah. Well, and also similarly, like, what do we do with it? Right. Because so uh, there's a really important discussion that has to be had with folklore students about how folklore is not just these cute little like stories, but folklore is also, again, the root of the the study, the field of folklore is in a, an attempt at nationalism mm-hmm. and building a national identity um, and building any group identity. That's what folklore serves to do. Um, and the bad people who want to do bad things will often use folklore as a means to isolate and alienate particular groups, either as like an us versus them, uh, you know, to both make their group feel stronger and make other groups feel less powerful so they can do bad things with it. Obviously, World War II and Nazi propaganda is a, you know, very recent and like key source of showing how folklore can cause a fascist dictator to murder millions of people and have countries be chill with it or not countries but like people in countries be unopposed to it right because they spread all this folklore about how you know jewish people were evil and terrible and needed to go but there's a real ethical question of how do you and is it right to show that propaganda to a class or use it as a use it in any way versus just describing it or just not saying anything about it at all and just saying, like, they said really bad things and we're not showing it to you. And that's a complicated question because on one hand, it's like, well, it's a piece of historical documentation that could be important for people to understand what this looks like so we don't do it again. But it's also very harmful and triggering and there's a chance of it falling into the wrong hands. And like, what do you 
again, folklore sort of have to understand that folklore can never be contained in some way, right? It's always, that's that's its role, that's its job, that's what it's meant to do is sort of go. And so every time folklorists are like, we're going to preserve and conserve something, they have to ask this question of like, what happens when this steps beyond the bounds of a glass case in a museum? Because inevitably it will. All that said, these questions of like origin points, I don't know how I got on the topic of Nazis from origin points, but... <laughs> Keep going, It's babe. fine. You're Here we are, it. circling back. The You're doing a great job. Covered wagons, making its way. Origin point, right, stopped being a thing. Because people, again, people were like, we can't find it. We're not going to find it. Then the internet comes along. And the great thing about the internet is that every origin is available, right? You, because provided that that internet, that data has not been fully erased entirely from the internet, which I don't know if that's even possible, to be quite frank, you can find it somewhere. Which leads to this really interesting thing of like, it used to be that if you if you could say you didn't know where the origin was, then like that meant it was folklore mm -hmm. because you're like, well, it's clearly moved around enough that you can't pinpoint exactly where it started. So therefore, like, you know, folklore. Um, but that's not really true anymore because of the Internet. So and print media in general. But what is interesting is that now it becomes, again, that question of like what does this mean and what do we do with it? And like, how does this impact people? So you have something like Slenderman. Slenderman, for those of you who don't know, is a one of the like original creepypastas on the internet. It has spawned this like huge, there was a time period where there was like a movie and a video game. Uh, two girls got arrested for trying to murder their friend in the woods in the name of Slenderman, right? It's this, it was this cultural movement kind of in like the mid 2010s. So it's got, an, it's got an origin point. There's a clear origin. You can find this guy's forum post on a creepypasta forum where he said this two sentence horror story. You know, back before that was like a Reddit thing. And he wrote this thing about this guy with really long limbs who wears a suit who like, I don't, I don't even know if he said he kidnaps children. It's very basic. It's kind of the most like, like baseline description of this Slenderman guy. Honestly, shocking knowing how much the story has evolved from here that this was the origin point. But unlike Taylor's folklore album, right, this forum post is kind of irrelevant. The man who started Slenderman is this has grown far beyond anything that he could have imagined at the time, because it goes from excuse me it goes from being this you know one one and a half line of a forum post to being this full mythology of this creepy guy in the for this cryptid almost horror cryptid. People started doctoring photos of him at playgrounds with children because the whole thing became that he kidnaps children. And, you know, again, you sort of start having these people making video games about him, Slenderman, like the seven, nine, some number pages. You have a guy on YouTube, Killer Hornets, who makes this whole multi, like so multi-volume saga, multi-episode saga, episodic saga. There we go. Whole episodic series of this POV, like found footage film of him being stalked by Slenderman and found that circulates the internet during like, you know, kind of some of the earlier days of YouTube. And it becomes this piece of like much greater cultural consciousness. And I think now if you were to ask somebody like where this started, the thing that they probably think of is this much greater detailed creepypasta post and not the guy's original forum thing. And also, right, you're probably hearing about Slenderman from not just the internet anymore. You're probably hearing about it from your friends. You're hearing about it from other media that you're like, oh, what's that? That's interesting, right? It's probably, it's a creepy story kids tell at their sleepovers. It's also, you know, you hear about the court case of the two women, two girls trying to kill their friend to sacrifice the Slenderman, right? All this stuff. 
and there's sort of no real true version of the story. Um, it has become and evolved into this much greater thing that is now, you know, part of the both internet culture, but what at one point was sort of at the forefront of all of our culture was this idea of Slenderman. So that is a really good like depiction of what folklore looks like. Um, and also what folklore looks like in the modern age, because that's another, again, because a lot of folklorists are still trying to catch up, right? They were writing about memes sent on fax machines not that long ago. And now, which was a thing, right? There was this whole thing where they would send, like, it was like, it was a mix of prank calling with memes where you would yeah. send pictures to random fax machines. Sorry, just smacked the mic really hard talking about fax machines. You would send random pictures through fax machines to people and just put in a random number and then somebody would just like get this faxed meme to them. Like it was a whole big thing. And now it's like, well, we had that stuff. That same stuff is repeating, but on the internet with actual internet memes. The the Babadook is gay memes, which I wrote a whole paper on, is also a very good example of this where it's like the origin of this started because somebody on Tumblr was just like, the Babadook is clearly queer coded. And then someone doctored a still image of a netflix screen for like that for pride month had lgbtq plus movies and they put the babadook in there and then everybody thought that netflix made a clerical error and accidentally sorted it that way and no somebody made that up somebody did that but like it doesn't matter the origin of that is irrelevant because everybody thinks that this was like you know a mistake that turned into this joke and then the babadook is gay became this sort of running meme throughout the month of june and for all pride parades for like the year that the babadook came out where it's like he was popping up in all over memes on tumblr he was like showing up it, people wore costumes of him to pride had signs of him at pride like that's what i need to go to pride in that's how I yes. show my allyship. A true ally. Yeah. Um. Se- ten years after the <laughs> origin everyone, of the name. Everyone knows. Yeah. Everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows. So yeah. So like, folklore can be started by mass-produced pieces of cultural content, like the Babadook. Right. The Babadook itself is a film. That he's not folklore, but like the memes that have evolved out of the Babadook are all folklore related. You know, the, this one folklorist, Lucy Long, wrote this really good article about green bean casserole, about how everybody in the Midwest has their great aunts, great grandmothers. Please great send whatever. that to me. It's so good. It, she talks about how everybody has this recipe for green bean casserole that, that they think is special, that they think is their great grandmother's original recipe. It's not. All these people got this recipe from a Campbell's ad in a magazine one time back in like the 1940s or 50s and then now everybody like all their grandmothers great aunts great uncles whatever all got this thing from this exact same place but they have all like now everybody thinks it's their own thing they think it's their own green bean casserole and it's this fascinating movement of like looking at and and then the question is you know okay so we all know this came to this campbell's thing so none of this is actually an original recipe it might be now because people have added things and you know whatever but then the question is okay so like why 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 did this happen like did did great grandmothers in the 1940s find a sense of power and ownership in claiming this recipe as their own in a space where they didn't have much power and agency, right? This is like the housewives decades where it's like the women were meant to stay at home after this, you know, era of World War II where they had been empowered to go find jobs and help the war and do all this stuff. And now they're just like stuck being homeowners and home homesteaders. And so it's like, did this give them power to be like, no, this is my recipe. I made this. It's like the um, people who put on their uh, gravestones, they're like secret recipe that they were like over my dead body yes yes yep there's your fudge recipe thanks so much martha yeah so like that's 
there's all these really fascinating intersections of like stuff. Another really interesting thing that happens is like the the when folklore becomes mass produced and starts like seeping outside of its cultural context. So like there's a another person, Willow Willow Mullins, I think is her name. Yeah, Willow Willow Mullins. She started studying Kyrgyzstanian like Kyrgyz ornaments, felt ornaments. And she was like, oh, like, because they were being sold in stores. And she was like, oh, this, like, thing, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm going to go to the community and, like, see the women who make these, who, like, what these mean. Turns out, Kyrgyz women don't care about felt ornaments. They, first of all, they're mostly Muslim. They don't have Christmas trees. So, like, they, they don't need ornaments. They think they're cute. They think they're kitschy. They actually think it's more fun that Americans are so into them. But, like, the felt ornaments are not actually part of their culture in any way outside of the fact that they figured out that they could be ma- like produced and ha- handmade kind of at like a mass production level and they sell really well and that sort of led her to have a whole crisis of being like what am I doing like these things that we think are folklore they're being marketed as folklore aren't folklore these people like this is not this means nothing to them but they're making them and, you know, then she kind of had a cra- And then then kind of that led her to the question of like, but does it matter? Does it matter that it's not authentic? Because authenticity is another big thing that people cared a lot about is like, what is authentic folklore versus what is inauthentic folklore? Like, what are you like pretend folklore? And that line's very hard to find. Also, like, what does it matter? Like, does it matter that felt ornaments do not actually matter at all in Kyrgyzstan? Like, d- does it? It, I don't know. Like, it, it matters to us. We've made folklore out of these, like, mass-produced things. We like them. So does it matter that it, it that these women are just kind of like, oh, it's funny that the Americans think that these are so cool. Like, oh, I just get money out of it. Authentic folklore is also a big question for, again, it's complicated. There's questions of, like, are you, you know, culturally appropriating something to gain financially from it versus, like, are you gatekeeping folklore from people because you know you don't want it to leave your community or because you don't think that's correct there's this whole thing on tiktok right now which i might be writing about in a paper for my current appalachian folklore class of like the rise of homesteading cosplay Mm. where it's like these very rich people suddenly like buy a bunch of land come watch me make bread yes ballerina farm i was going to say yes so now i will say that like in the context of this class we're studying appalachia i think ballerina farm is mormon i think that's a bunch of mormon propaganda which is another interesting thing i don't know if they themselves are mormon but they are out in that in like the west and they have enough children that i'm suspicious they have like eight kids So, but right, it's these really rich people who sort of start, buy a bunch of land, get these really expensive things, whatever, and then they put on these airs like they're these, we're folk, folk people, we're the folk, we're, we're doing these, we're making things, we're like back to making bread. And it's like, but are you with your million dollar stove and your obvious childcare that's off camera? Like, somebody else just got outed who was like an claiming putting on this performance of an Appalachian folk singer who got outed as a Nepo baby from California. Pink, oh my gosh, what was his name? Pink something, Pink Williams, Pink, Pink, Pink Fiddle Man. I don't know. I'll look at it. It's in my notes up somewhere. But like, Pink Fiddle Man. Pink Fiddle Man. I like that one. But so there's a question there of like, you know, okay, so they're inauthentic. What does that mean? 
like what what is inauthenticity inauthenticity mean and what does it matter and again these are all things that folklorists wrestle with of like you know where do we how do we categorize things and how do we talk about things that are might not be authentic folklore but that are still important folklore and you know again these questions of cultural appropriation especially with a field that has you know so often sent white academics into spaces that they are not part of and that they you know are sort of looking at as infantile almost of being like oh my gosh you're so folk you're so folk you know to make it something that's lesser or subordinate to the main like mainstream yeah yeah right it's like it's outside it's outside the industrial you're back living on the land like we used to yeah you're pre-modern you know you're an outlier in the weird liminal space of you have access to all of these civilized things why aren't you using them why would you want to go back that way yeah the like that's somehow less than that we're advanced therefore that is less yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. it does. And that's and that's that's a big thing in the Appalachian folklore world, yeah. right? Is this idea that like, oh, these people, like, they're outside of modernity. And so there's a weird, again, everything in folklore is this constant tug of war between two opposite poles. And so there's this sense of like you want to preserve that they're so folksy, but you're also like by restricting their access to modernity, you're like preventing people from having like running water yeah. in their houses in like places of incredible poverty. And you're basically preventing people from leaving incredible impoverished areas because you're like, but you're so, you're so folk, you know, it's so cool. And you're like, no, people, people should have a toilet if they want it. People should be able to leave if they want to yeah, leave. Yeah. Like, and then also, right, the question of, you know, when you get into questions of authenticity, then you start being like, oh, well, you're not, you're not enough. Like, you're not folk singer enough to be authentic. And it's like, but you, like, what do you mean I'm a fiddle player growing up in, like, southern West Virginia in the mountains? What do you mean I'm not folk enough? Like, you don't look folk enough or you don't play something that's authentic enough. There's Folk festivals are a really big part of folk study and folk life in general that start as these start as this way to uplift folk culture and kind of give it a center you know whatever put it on the pedestal and that becomes a question of like suddenly these like Appalachian there's the Appalachian Folk Life Festival is huge and bluegrass players they always have these like folk bands come and they start rejecting people who are from Appalachia who are playing folk songs because they're either not folk enough they're like, well, you're not, you don't sound enough like it. Or they're forcing bands who have a different sound to play traditional folk songs that they don't really know because they're like, well, what you're playing isn't isn't authentic enough. We want something more authentic. And it's again, like, well, what do you mean? Like, at, at what point are you just per- like, they're from here. They live here. They play here. They they're, they were raised on this culture of music. They've just adjusted their sound. Again, this idea that yeah, like, folklore like, needs allowing to Allowing it to evolve. Yeah. Like, the alternative. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, is this whole question of, like, folklore's whole point is to change and grow. So you can't expect it to be stagnant, but you also want it to be stagnant. Because you're ne- wanting to preserve things that don't necessarily, because of their nature, need to be preserved or want to be preserved. Yes. Yeah. And there's an interesting intersection also when you look at immigrant communities of like authenticity because you have groups that start like connecting to old folk activities like the Bolivian communities in in this in like Northern Virginia and D.C., huge population of Bolivians. And they 
are really interested in like traditional Bolivian dance, but you go to their communities back in Bolivia and they're like, we don't do that. Like we don't, we don't dance. Like nobody does that here, but it's like, it becomes a way for them to connect to their original communities. But also like, it's this really interesting outgrowth of like something that feels very traditional and folksy that the people actually back in their hometown are like, nobody here dances. Like that's, and you know, so then it's like, okay, so like, but so then what's, what is quote unquote authentic? Like, and it's because it's not the origin quote unquote of where that dance would have come from, but they've. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Am I saying the right thing? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the the way that it exists now is within a culture that has essentially taken it from its origin yeah. and rebooted it. Yes. Yeah. So. Which is something that happens a lot, right? Yeah. You have a lot of, you know, folklore does can die and disappear forever, but it can also come back, right? People find something that they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like, I mean, you could argue that the folklore of the 90s is back in style now. So now we have a bunch of stylistic choices that are all, you know, being... Please put the low-rise jeans back. Get that folklore out of here. We do not need low-rise. I do not need to see your hip bones. I do not need to see your pubic bone. Specifically, I'm talking about myself in the mirror. I do not need to see my hip bones. I do not need to see see my pubic bone. I lived through it. I'm done. I'm good. I'm good. Also, I have a long torso. To make it even longer... By having low rise, I look like a monster. Emma is Slenderman. <laughs> Slenderman. I'm Slenderman. Slenderman. Also, leave my eyebrows alone. Truly. Put the tweezers down. Put the tweezers down. You do not need to shave them that far apart. Please don't. Oh, wow. See, I'm not on eyebrow side of. My eyebrows are just how they are all the time, they are unchanged. That's great. I, I I'm not on brow TikTok. I came from oh, a. No, I'm not. I just. Is, no. I'm saying other things from the 90s yeah, that we yeah, don't yeah. need to bring we back. We don't need to bring the, back like, teeny, tiny. Thin oh no, eyebrows. eyebrows. Like I come from a Hispanic family where we're very bushy people in all senses <laughs> of that word. So like shaving and plucking your eyebrows was like a thing that we did. To, like, maintain, to, like, fit in, to look good. Emma has made me swear that if she's ever in a coma, I have to maintain her eyebrows so she doesn't have a unibrow or little hairs on her chin. You know what? I love, yeah, I love that level of friendship. I love my long pause of, like, I don't know how to digest that information. (laughs) Which is totally fair. In my mind, if I were ever in a coma, what would happen is that I would just end up with a circle around my features because of the hair all connecting that I just don't want to happen. Like, my sideburns and my chin hairs (laughs) and my eyebrows would just all connect as one circle around my features. And uh, I don't want to look like an ape. I would like that to... You would to, like to wake up fresh-faced. Exactly. Like, Somebody do a facial on <laughs> moisturize. me. Moisturize. Like, put my moisturizer on. Put on chapstick. Please brush my teeth. Like... Some it, washa. Yeah. Just do some kind of like... Keep the blood circulation going. Keep the blood going. circulation going. Like, don't... Don't give up on me. Please. Like, and that includes all of the like, you know, all of the face that... Like, keep keep me healthy as if I were still alive, I just didn't have the ability to do it myself. Like, just do that. But now I have questions. Like, do people in comas get dental care? How does how does that That's work? That's a great question. I have no clue. They must I'm gonna brush Google their teeth it because I feel like they would rot otherwise, which like, would create more problems. Because then that's like, if yeah. I, def- I like definitely believe that they put chapstick on their lips. That I think I do know for a fact that the nurses, one of their jobs, along with like sponge bath bathing is like moisturized for the exact reason of 
Do nurses brush your teeth in a coma? Google. <laughs> the the place that everybody goes for their weird questions. Well, that they're like, you know, what is it? It used to be uh, Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves or Yelp answers. Oh, yeah. Yahoo answers. Yahoo answers. Yelp answers. Yelp answers. <laughs> Five star okay. reviews. Five stars. I trust this Reddit source more. Hold on. Okay. Um, coma patients are fed through a tube and oral care is extremely important. We don't usually brush a patient's teeth, so to speak, but we use sponge swabs and an antibacterial mouthwash to clean the patient's teeth, gums, and mouth. The oral flora can contribute to pneumonia, so it's important to keep the mouth clean. Okay. If they, and then someone else commented, they've worked in critical care for 30 years. If the patient is orally intubated, we brush their teeth every four hours. Oh. If they have a tracheotomy, then every 12 hours. So, yes. Interesting. Well, I'm glad that I will be receiving that care when and if I'm ever in a coma. Um, However, I don't think they really care about the hair on your face. So, that's your job. That's just your job. I know. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was all my notes that I have. Do you have all of any questions? Um, I don't right in this moment, I think. Wait a second. Because I did earlier, so I'm trying to figure, remember what I would. Oh, my question was, so obviously, you know, this ties in, the folklore ties in a lot to our conversations around cryptids. Yes. And like those kind of rumor starting legend starting lore things is there something that you have studied in these classes that has come up as like i have a feeling it's going to happen for the appalachian folklore class but what has there been anything before that that focused in on those kinds of what are they called like not moral stories but like uh, cautionary tales kind of thing yes yeah, so in my folktale class, we did talk about those as a type of folktale. The The one we talked about in class was the hook hand man story where inevitably, right? So every town has some version of this story. It's like a bunch of kids that, you know, there's a make out point. Mm-hmm. It's Sally Joe and, you know, Davy Sue or whatever go out to this look at make out point. They make out and then they hear a noise and the guy like gets out of the car. He's like, I'm going to go look. And he goes and looks and then he disappears. And then there's, you know, the, the girl's like, oh, no, oh, no, what's happening? And then there's a bit a big sound and then there's a hook and there's a man oh. with a hook hand and he killed the man. Yes. And then the girl runs and she screams and she's like, oh my god and then goes back to town and she's like my boyfriend is dead the hook man and it's you know meant to be a like kids don't have sex in cars with people (laughs) story i i have heard that story it was told to me by my uncle but it was that the they go to the like kissing point they're like hanging out kissing they see something and they this whole day have been hearing about like there's a murderer on the loose kind of thing yes and then they had heard something scratching along the side of the door and they're like we're gonna go home and so they like turn around go home and when they get out of the car there's a hook hanging off yes. of the door handle yes and i just there's something in my brain where like the image of that that and like the murderer licking the girl's hand that one i can't i i it literally makes me want to throw up like that those kinds of like horror almost like horror adjacent cautionary tale kind of things just fuck with my brain 
I am going to tell you something that is going to make you feel so much better about the hand-licking murder dog story. Please. Because that story, when I heard that, freaked me. The I can't. Actual. I can't, I can't have my hands off of the end of my bed. Terrifying. Purely. Terrifying. Hated that story. Hor- huh. For those who don't know, basically, there's a story where it's like this girl has a dog and the dog always licks don't tell her the hand. Dog part I won't tell the dog part. Don't worry. Um, always licks her hand and she's laying there in her bed and then like somebody's licking the hand and she then she starts hearing this dripping noise. So she gets up and she checks checks the water and the faucet is turned off and so she goes back to bed and then some little dogs licking her hand. He always licks her hand and she's falling asleep and she keeps hearing the dripping noise. She gets up and she goes and she can't figure out what's dripping and then she goes back to bed and eventually she gets up and like turns the light on and sees a macabre scene of uh something unnamed censored uh dripping from the ceiling and it's blood it's been blood dripping this whole time and then on the mirror it says humans can lick too and the implication is that this man has been waiting for her under her bed licking her hand instead of the dog Um, absolutely disgusting horrifying scares me to even think about now i cannot put my hands off the end of my bed now that said you know when we hear these stories please make it better for me i will so when we hear these stories this is a very important part of the cautionary tale when we hear these stories it is supposed to be like temporally relevant to where we are and like who we're with and whatever because the whole point of the cautionary tale is it's meant to be like this could be somebody you know right or this could be you this could be you right so the hook hand thing it's always right the the Makeout point changes, the context changes a little bit based on where you live, right? It's normally like a town over. It's like, oh, like this was like a friend of a cousin of a friend kind of situation who had this happen. Um, it's somewhere in the recent past, so it feels relevant because it's supposed to scare you out of doing something in like the current moment. So same with like the looking dog, although that's not really a mor- morality thing. That's just a ghost story. That's just like for the ooks and spooks. So in that folktale class, we watched a recording where a folklorist had taken a bunch of teenagers in the 70s and had them sit around a campfire and tell stories. And wouldn't you know, the story that they're telling around this campfire in the 70s is that dog licking story. Like that story has been around for decades that children have just always been telling at campfires, which made me feel a lot better of me being like, oh, this was not like a recent thing. Of So me knowing, oh, you people have just been telling the same story for decades now around a campfire made me feel like, oh, this is for sure fake, right? Th- this can't be a real thing if they're telling the same story that I got told when I was 13. Like, because now it's been given some sense of place and time of at minimum me knowing this isn't something that happened down the street to a friend. This is something that happened. If it happened, it didn't happen. But like, this is something that has been ongoing for for years. Um, So yeah, tons of stories like that. Cryptid stories are probably also in that similar vein of like ghost slash morality tales, right? Like somebody's out in the woods when they're not supposed to be and they see something, they find something. It's meant to be a like, don't, don't go do this thing at this place at this time like that's what those stories are meant to be um and yeah i mean we have you know the fun thing about folklore is that it's it's all patterns and repetitions right all the kinds of folklores are just like repeating patterns of themselves in new contexts with new things like memes right where it one before they were called memes memes is a term taken from genetics called memetics about like how things replicate and spread before we called them that again we had fax machine 
jokes and pranks being done, which are the same thing that we're doing now, but on the internet. And before that, I'm sure there were people sending letters to each other with dumb drawings. You know, we have examples of people making what we would think of as memes in like Roman etchings on walls in like Pompeii. Celsius was here. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I mean, this, this shit just, it's, it's all similar and it's all different threads of the same stuff, which is fascinating and really cool. And I think helps make some of the ghost stories feel less scary because you inevitably know like, oh, this is, this is just something that has always existed. There will always be a version of the hook hand man story that floats around. There will probably always be a story of like, you know, the, the murderer licking the hand of the girl in the bedroom. Um, any creepypasta, right? Chances are creepypasta are kind of all just similar brands of similar things that, you know, are just repeating over time in mm-hmm. a different in different mode and a different form than they were, you know, 70 years ago. But yeah, all the same. So I hope that makes you feel better. Thank you. It did a little bit. I'm still freaked out by it, but not in the same way that I think I was when I was like in middle school. Yeah, which is fair. Because it's not, it, it, in my head, it was like recent. Yeah, no, it's children and there's recordings of children in the 70s telling the same story around a fire. Gross. Like, but yay. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's like almost word for word, like the same vibe. Like, so it's all it's all just repeating itself. Time is just an endless circle. Flat circle. Do we have any questions uh, provided by listeners for Holland? I don't. We have three questions. <gasps> How exciting! From one listener. Oh, no. I know. Oh, Friend of the pod. Jay oh. Weezy? Jay Weezy. <sighs> Fake Pedro Pascal. Who has just followed us back. Okay. Very important question. How many licks does it take? This fucker. To get to the center <laughs> of a Tootsie Pop. Oh, my God. I, I don't like that we just talked about licking, and now we're talking about this. <laughs> Welcome to the show. So much licking. <laughs> Okay, now I have to Google. I don't know. Is that folklore? Which, I guess it would is. Would you say that that question is folklore? I would, actually, because I think that it is a now like a common parlance of like how many licks. Like, every, that commercial is from like the 90s. We have, again. No, it's from the 70s. It's from the 70s? Look it up. Oh, my God. Because we have a recording. My parents, again, like loved to take things off of Our interest in TV. Okay, hi. Everybody needs to go watch uh, Google, YouTube, Tele Francais, episode one of this hilarious Quebecois French Canadian television show that I watched as a child that is a fever dream of an experience, but is great. Un ananas. Um, un ananas. If a Furby and a pineapple had a baby. <laughs> Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, I feel like it's I'm in, crazy. I, okay. I felt like when I was watching it, I genuinely felt my mouth drop open. And then I was like, I have to close my mouth. But it was just this weird little Muppet thing. It's not a Muppet. It's a, it's a, like, it's a puppet. It's a yeah, puppet. Because it's not Jim Henson yeah. property. But like, it, like a fever dream kind of, I don't, it, it, look it up. The, the eyes were just too much for me. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I tend to forget that that exists and then all of a sudden I like saw like a Twitch streamer had that on their like go like be right back screen and I was like how do you know about the French pineapple man (laughs) like Um, okay no that is about uh, to answer his question a University of Michigan study concluded that it was 412 licks rude another one estimated for 146 licks that's a huge range 
When was the commercial? That's what I'm trying to look up. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so VHS, um, my parents stealing television shows off of the television and recording them to VHSs. We used to watch Fudge, the show Fudge. It was like uh, based on a um, a book by the same person who wrote, uh, I think, Beverly and Ramona. Ramona, the, those books, children's books, anybody? Anybody? Yes. No, I know the books. But we used to watch that and they had the Tootsie Roll commercial mm. like how many or the tootsie pop commercial in interspersed in that show so yeah i am um, let's see advertising start but yeah i mean but even if it's farther away that's great oh my gosh debuted so the phrase debuted august 1969 nice um i don't know if that the animated one is that one might have that one looks like that the animated version might have debuted in the the eighties, but the the phrase debuted in the nineteen sixty nine. I would say it is folklore because I think that when I, personally when I hear that phrase, I associate it with that owl, and I feel like yeah. that phrase is now like everybody knows what it means, and it sort of you know in different contexts takes on a new a new meaning and role. Like how many licks does it take? Like you know, and then and then people start trying to test it. They start doing stuff with it. Becomes a debate. Even if you haven't seen the commercial, you've heard about it through other people. So yeah, I'd say Google I'd say Google Owl Tootsie Pop commercial because I think you just need to be more internet about it. Oh, it was yeah, it was 1968. Owl was introduced to the world in 1968 in a new campaign for Tootsie Pop. There you go. Five sweet facts about Mr. Owl, the Tootsie Pop mascot. Mr. Owl. So they clearly just like ran that commercial for quite literally decades. Well, because they didn't need to change it. It was That's perfect. True. It was so good. So I, I'm, I'm very happy that my uh, Mr. Magoo knowledge of 1960s, 1970s cartoon form is hot and ready. There you go. Okay, but speaking of commercials and folklore, you know, every Christmas there's the Hershey Kiss commercial where yes. they ring the little bells. That's also really old. It is, but this year, this past year, 2023, they changed it, and people were furious. Like, the, the, the commercial, like, starts to play as normal, and then a pair of hands comes in and, like, takes a kiss and, like, eats it, and the girl that was, like, stitching it on TikTok was like, no, no, it's, put, put it back. Put it <laughs> Put my 1980s Hershey kisses like, back. On the, on the phone being like, what do you mean you don't know who's responsible? <laughs> So anyway, related. Okay, next very serious and important question. On a scale of 1 to 10. This man is ruining my life. I just need everybody to know this. We how, love him. How attractive <laughs> do you find Mothman? Oh, my oh, God. I, I thought he was going to say Pedro Pascal. Okay, viewers, listeners, my partner, Justin, uh, Jay Weezy, also known as Jay Weezy, looks like Pedro Pascal if Pedro Pascal was um, white and also 20 years younger. Anyways, he's killing me over here with these questions. I don't... Okay, what Mothman are we talking about? Because the statue concerns me. I don't like that statue. Okay, I would like to talk about this a little bit because you're correct. The statue himself, it doesn't necessarily embody what the description is of Mothman. Okay, but they had to weatherproof him, so he's made of metal. Well, it's no, not no, yeah, the metal it's not, part. It, yeah, but it's, it's like the, the form. Shape. The form of shape him of the man. is very much like it is like male looking, and it has like a human form to it. Whereas the description of it was much more of it is like essentially slender man with wings, but there wasn't a like like the. 
the statue has abs. Like, that's not, that wasn't part of the description. And a booty. And a booty. Yeah, like, the, yeah. the booty no. conversation comes purely from the statue. Whereas the cu- the two couples that first encountered Mothman, they described it purely as this, like, humanoid thing. So, yes, they ha- it had, like, a head, it had arms, it had legs. But with wings... And red eyes. And that was like, they're watching, they're seeing it in the dark. They can't like pick out the shadows of his six butt pack. and his yeah. six pack against the wind. His tight pert ass. Yeah. <laughs> it truly, it's got such lift. I mean, when you fly, it's just, you build up a lot of muscle tone, probably, if you're flying it's around all places. that deep plie for taking off and, and then land. landing. Yeah. When you oh, land, soft knees. Soft so knee. really yeah. what we're saying is that the uh, iteration was much more, th- of, the, of the statue was much more thought through than we realized of, like, they genuinely went through how does this thing move? How does it, like, all of that, which, honestly, I appreciate, but... To answer your question of which one, if the, like, statue kind of creeps you out, as in, like, it's a little too, like, uncanny valley almost. Yeah. He reminds me of um the, a very niche call back. Um, Teen Titans, the cartoon yeah. show, there was a, a villain yep. who was basically Mothman, mm-hmm. and that's who I think of. And that man, not attractive. No. No, sir. Okay. I did not like Fair that. Fair enough. But if it we were to show you another iteration of a Mothman, is there one that you are attracted to? No. Okay. So I, the answer I, I flat so out it's is a no. One. I, no. It's a one. I'll give it a two. A two. You okay. know, everybody, everybody's got, maybe he's got a nice personality, you know? Okay. He's got a butt. A good one. I'm not a butt person. All right, now. Emma's an ass man. Got <laughs> you and Chris Evans. No, I'm an arm man. Okay, I love, all right. I love some good arm. <laughs> all right, moving on. Last very important oh, question. Oh my God, Pedro from Discount Pedro, <laughs> Kirkland Pedro Pascal slash Jayweezy Wish.com. Are you Holland middle name last name secretly the Mothman from Point Pleasant? Is that why you are not attracted to yourself? No comment. Swooshes <laughs> 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 away. And I disappear. But you just run into the light. You just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just catch me. Catch me crashing into the light over and over again. Hope you uh, hope you don't mind having glass all over your floor. <laughs> That's fine. I need to get rid of that light anyway. No, I am. Despite the rumors. The and folklore the surrounding. Um, I am not. I am not, in fact, Mothman. I don't think I would pick to be Mothman what, either. What cryptid would you want to be? I feel like I don't know enough. Uh, well, I have to run through. I know like all of three cryptids. I'm giving. I'm getting big Ahul vibes. What is mm. Ahul? Ah-hoo! Guardians of the Hool. No, it's it's a cryptid from Indonesia. That it's, like, it's like a flying monkey, but bigger. Let me. And wait, it we're screams Googling. its own name. Uh, that is that is very me. Ahul. Colin's just in the corner going, Holland! That yeah, I mean I do love to scream. Um Yeah, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Alright, so Holland's in a hool. I'm not trying to put an identity on you. I'm just no, offering. You know what? An labels idea. labels are helpful and important um as we all make these journeys of understanding ourselves and right now i think a who really fits 
Um, but you know, it could change. I'll let you know. I'll send. I'll send a group text. That's fair. If when when uh, another determination was met, there is um, a cryptid quiz that Shannon and I took on one of our episodes, and I don't remember which oh, I one it do was. That. I'll do that in the break. <laughs> but I did end up getting the ahul. <gasps> but I don't know if I should take it again. If we should take it again all of us to redetermine because you know how sometimes you're like i'm not in the mood for that specific food that you've given me as a choice yeah so i'm going to choose this and so it's very different let's see i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna pull this up for myself for later i feel like I, I if i had to pick like what a thing i could be i think i would want to be one of those like ghost women who stand on the side of the road and get picked up by hitchhikers you want to be a hitchhiking and, ghost and then and then murder them or like cause oh. their car to go off the side of the road right oh you don't just want to like, creep you want to do activities or like specifically the ones who like go after the men who have cheated like mm. right those those ones who like very intentionally are like you're for me i'm gonna destroy have you, you. read squad by maggie to yes great teenage great. girl werewolves who go after bad boys great they do bad things great and they eat them thing okay i'm gonna have to fight you're gonna have to tell me which yeah. one you did there's a lot of cryptic quizzes that's okay link link in the bio <laughs> in the show notes well are there any other questions for holland do you have any questions for us? No. Great. <laughs> well then, friends, remember, this podcast does it exist. And some folklore might not anymore. R.I.P. R.I.P. That's the circle of life. The circle of life. Goodbye. Bye.